Well, a very warm welcome to our latest generation podcast. Uh, as you can see, we've had a bit of a change. We used to do audio only, and now we're also doing video. I mean, I'm really a bit disappointed in that. I've got a face for radio, <laughs> but uh, the people who helped me thought that it would be really good to do the dual thing, video and audio. Generation Podcast, for those of you who have just joined us, is a podcast sponsored by Generation, the mission wing of the Free Church of Scotland. My name is David Meredith. I'm the mission director for the Free Church of Scotland. So we aim just to talk with mission, we say with a Scottish accent and from a Scottish perspective. But I have a guest today who is not Scottish. Joseph, welcome. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Great. My guest today is Joseph Steinberg. Joseph is the CEO of the International Mission to Jewish People. Um, Joseph, welcome. Um, first of all, let me talk, before we, we talk about you, let, let's talk a little bit about the organization. The International Mission to Jewish People. Is this a new kid in the block? This is a new name. Tell me. Tell me the story. Yeah, well, it's a new name as of the 1st of January, but it's the same focus, telling Jewish people about Jesus, seeing, you know, Jewish people are presented with the gospel, the person of Jesus, uh, giving them an opportunity within their own um, culture and, and confines to, to hear the gospel. Um, and, you know, giving them that, allowing God to, to draw them to himself, bringing them into a saving relationship with himself through the Lord Jesus and then seeing them become part of uh, the church, members of the, their, their local churches. And uh, that's been our focus. And we sort of shortened that down to telling Jewish people about Jesus because you need a snappy strap line that sort of puts it in there. But of course, everyone else would have known us before the 1st of January as Christian witness to Israel, at least for the last 40 years. Um, but of course, as a, as a mission organization, that is what, you know, 178 years old. And of course, Part of our, um, our roots is in, in the Free Church of Scotland, uh, you know, so um, we've had a number of iterations in terms of names. And what we've done with the new name is actually go back through the old names and bring them back in. So we went through our ar archives. Even our new logo is based on logos that we used to use in the past before we became um, CWI. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a great story. I was reading a story today. I mean, you were founded basically in 1842. The original name, and I've written it down here, is quite, quite a mouthful, the British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Amongst the Jews. Yes. Now, that's long. Yes. Having said international that, mission to Jewish people was bad. It's, it's pretty accurate. You know, I mean, it tells a story. So there's yes. a sense in which... You know, Christian witness to Israel, you went off piste a little bit. What was negative about the Christian witness to Israel uh, name? Well, unfortunately, you know, over the last few decades, um, the word Israel has sort of become associated uh, with only one thing, and that's normally issues to do with the land in the Middle East and with people specifically located in that land. And so we found when we were sort of contacting churches, because obviously when we're out doing evangelism, you know, we're not saying to Jewish people, hi, I'm a missionary, or hi, I work for Christian Witness to Israel. You know, we are presenting the gospel, and we're very clear that we are people who are working to bring the gospel to them, but we don't, we're not that, you know, we don't want to put obstacles in the way. So really, the, the rebrand is about helping the church re-engage 
with Jewish mission. Because as much as you might want to say we're a parachurch organization, we see that we are working with the church, through the church, as part of the church. But we specialize in reaching a people that the church struggles in reaching. So it's really important to us that when we get in touch with the church, the, the shutters don't automatically come down because they make assumptions. Because the world has become a little bit more bonkers these days in terms of the way people, you know, politicize things. And, and for us, uh, with, our, with our singular focus on gospel mission, we felt that the name continually hindered us from being able to bring our cause to the church and to be able to raise up the support and prayer and finance and people that we needed. And so in the end, we, it was a really long process. In fact, it, it sort of, one of the first things, things that the CWI council board gave me to do was to look at a rebrand. And I said, look, let's just get our mission really focused on what we should be doing. And then we can look at that down the road. And so it was something that, you know, cause I've been in this role for about seven years now it was something that we didn't really spend any time on for the first four years I was in, but really began to look in earnest about two and a half years ago and went through a long two year process, including in fact, a writing to 2000, of our supporters, a sort of a survey to get ideas on different names and how they felt about a name change and and so on. And then we also called a, a number of supporting churches uh, and spoke to them. And then we did a, just a blanket survey of ministers uh, through Premier Radio, uh, a mailing that they that we had with them. And it's just very interesting to get all that data back. In fact, twenty five percent of our supporters sent surveys back in, and and the majority were in favor of the name that we now have. So, um, and that's, I think the reason is, and the reason that it was a unanimous vote with our board was because the name is just much clearer about what we do. In fact, I mean, I think it's crystal clear now. What are we? We're an international mission to Jewish people. Yeah. And I think that there was some concern by people about, you know, losing the word Christian and, and, and so on. And that wasn't anything that we could help because there is, you have to think about the marketplace and there is another Jewish uh, mission organization, CMJ. And if we would have become Christian mission to Jewish people, we would have been CMJP or so we kind of we were forced to not be able to use the word Christian simply because we would have sounded exactly like another organization, which would have created confusion. Yeah, I mean, I just love your strap line for its simplicity, telling Jewish people about Jesus. Yeah. Well, let me push back a little bit. I mean, I've been talking to some folks recently because I'm in, in mission. Jewish mission is is really not as central as it used to be. Folks seem to have, number one, lost confidence because it's too hard or it seems peripheral. I was talking to someone a few years ago in the US, and they actually says, oh, God's, God's finished with the Jews. They, they had their chance. So, you know, for, for lots of reasons, you know, Jewish mission just isn't dominant in people's thinking anymore. I want to bring it back. Yeah. You want to bring it back. Joseph, tell us, why Why have folk lost confidence? Why is it not a big thing anymore? Well, I think that, this is just my own opinion, something that's been irking me for about a month now. When I don't know, I mean, I've only just started thinking about it. So it has, it's been irking me for a long time, but I've been thinking about it for a month. And this is titled like God's Ancient People. Okay, now look at me. Do I look ancient? Yeah, I'm getting there. I mean, I don't have any hair and so on. But the fact is, is I'm a real human being that needs the gospel. And I thank God for the Christian that despite my father uh, rejecting him, my mother rejecting him, 
And my sister, again, rejecting him when he tried to share the gospel, he still persevered and shared the gospel with me, became my friend, um, you know, got me uh, to read the scripture and so on. And ultimately, all that resulted in the Lord leading me to himself and, and saving faith. And, you know, the problem is, is that when we either politicize or theologize or ideologize a people, um, we, we run into problems because we dehumanize them. You know, to say that God is finished with the Jewish people, what, I mean, what does that mean? Are we, are, you know, Paul doesn't seem to say that we're beyond being able to be saved. I mean, it says the call of God is irrevocable, you know, um, you know, and, and to me, I, I think that the, the real reason is, is the first thing you said is about our lack of confidence, a lack of confidence in the gospel. I mean, I've been living as a missionary in the UK for 33 years. CWI brought me here originally before I went into pastoral ministry and then other things. And and I've just seen this growing lack of confidence in proclaiming the good news and having an assurance that God saves. It's the Lord who does the work. And that's the thing that has encouraged us within International Mission of the Jewish People is we've been recruiting evangelists, missionaries, people who are passionate about sharing Jesus. And as we've seen Jewish people come into faith, and by God's grace, we saw 45 Jewish people last year come to faith and be brought into churches. I'm not talking about professions. I'm talking about real people who are actually baptized and participating in local worship now. And, you know, that's because we believe that God does the work the Lord saves. And so we have confidence in that. But in that sense, I think Jewish mission is the canary in the mine shaft. And I think that as Jewish mission is choked out of um, the life of the church or the mind of the Christian, um, I think it says something about our confidence in the gospel overall. Um, because I think, yeah, I'm going to say this as a Jewish person. My people were were um, not known for embracing the gospel. We're not known for believing in Jesus. We're known for our rejection of him. And we've been persecuted in, in his name for 2,000 years. So we have certain chips on our shoulders. So I would say that we're a very hard people to reach. Absolutely. Um, you know, and there's arguments about, you know, should we, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone who's an evangelical could ever argue that you shouldn't share the gospel with a Jewish person, yeah. right? I mean, all all humans should hear the gospel. If you want to say, you know, oh, the, whether we should preach the gospel to the Jews first or not, my argument is simply, well, that... I don't care whether you preach the gospel to us first or last, just preach the gospel to us. I don't care what place in the queue I am. I didn't need to be the first person to get the jab, but can I please have the jab? I don't care if I'm number 17 million, but please, can I have it? And I feel like that's, a, you know, we, we end up alienating an entire people group by, you know, calling them ancient or giving them some status or something. The fact, I'll give you the status of Jewish people today. 99% of Jewish people in the world are not saved. Everyone mourned about the chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, when he died. Oh, what a great man. And, da, da, da. and I, I mourned because I have no assurance of his salvation. My heart breaks to think about where he is in eternity now. You know, he, he came into the world with nothing. He left with nothing. He had all these accolades while he was alive, but you can't take them with you, right? I mean, I'm preaching to the choir now, but that's my passion is to say, look, Jewish people need Jesus just like every other person. And this horrible pandemic that we're going through and all the people who've lost their lives, and I've lost uh, people that I know, you know, um, you think about their last moments isolated, alone in a ward on their own, and it's just them and God. And how have we helped people prepare to stand before a holy God? And that includes Jewish people. So I just can't really 
understand, I don't think anyone's thought deeply enough about the human side of it. If they're just going to say, we don't need to think about the Jewish people anymore because, you know, God's finished with them. I mean, that to me is, if you actually think about it as heinous, it's a, you know, it's. <laughs> Let's go back a bit. I mean, let's talk about you for a little bit. I mean, your name is Joseph Steinberg. Okay, so that's a little clue. You, you know, you're not called Angus McLeod or, or something like that. You know, there's like a little that. clue to, to your <laughs> ethnicity there. So, Joseph, you uh, were a Jew, are a Jew. I don't know how you self-identify. Tell us your story, how a Jewish boy is now CEO of the International Mission to Jewish People. That's quite a story. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, um, it's all about grace, isn't it? I, You know, from my earliest memories as a child, um, I always thought about spiritual things, and I had a real fear of death. I remember before I started school, when I was just before I was six, lying in bed thinking, I'm going to start school next week, and I'm going to learn and grow up, and I'm going to, get a job and have a wife and a family and, and, and get older and wiser. And then I'm going to die. I mean, this is a five, six year old, you know, this is what I was thinking. I was terrified of the thought of dying and there'd be one last laugh and then I wouldn't exist anymore. What was it all for? It seemed pointless and it scared me. So, uh, and then I remember uh, when I was six, we were going to synagogue one night on a Friday. Um, obviously that's when we would go, but my father, we were waiting for the rest of the family to come out and he, it was a very starry night and he looked up in the stars and he said, you know, one day the Messiah will come and he will bring peace to the earth and the lion will lay with the lamb wow. and so on. And I, my father planted the seed of hope in my heart because of my fears. I thought, wow, if the Messiah comes and I'm alive, then I'll, I'll live forever because then it'll be God's kingdom. And it was just this thought that I had in this thing that I, it was like the sand and the oyster. It was like a pearl that began to grow in my heart. Um, now, ironically, years later, I found out that my father doesn't believe in a Messiah. He believes that it's a fairy tale and these, you tell children fairy tales. But so, but I believe that God used him to plant that seed, uh, a, a certain hunger or hope um, in my heart. So if you roll the clock forward uh, a number of years later, when I was 13, we moved to a new neighborhood. I didn't have any friends. It was the summer and there was no school. And I became aware of a neighbor uh, who was just about a year and a half, two years older than me. So I was 13, he was 15, I suppose. And um, so I met him the first time when I was sitting on the front um, porch of the house and my father was clearing out the, the front garden from all the debris from just moving in. And he came up and he said, oh, welcome to the neighborhood, Mr. Steinberg. I'd like to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And my father immediately gave him his marching orders. We're Jewish, we don't believe in Jesus and made him leave, you know. Uh, about a week later, uh, the doorbell rang. It was six o'clock in the evening and my mother went to open the door and I was standing behind her to see who it was. And it was this young man again, Mark. He said, oh, hello, Mrs. Steinberg. I'm knocking on all the doors in the neighborhood to distribute these leaflets for my church. We'd like you to know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My mother said the same thing as my father. We're Jewish. We don't believe in Jesus. Don't come back to our house and slam the door. A few days after that, my sister experienced the same thing at a mall when she met up with him with other young people. Came back very angry and upset. You would think he would learn, don't speak to the Steinberg family. We're Jewish, we don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, but, plates in your own, you know. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, thank thank, <laughs> thank God he doesn't play baseball or something, right? <laughs> so um, a few days later, I was sitting at the back of the house, bored out of my mind, nothing to do, didn't know anyone. And I, I um, heard the sound of a basketball. And I looked up uh, the street and two houses up was this guy, Mark, 
shooting hoops on his garage, you know, the old American thing with the basketball hoop on the garage on the driveway. And I thought, oh man, I'd love to play some basketball. So I went up and we just started playing basketball together. And literally three minutes into playing, he holds onto the ball and he shares his testimony with me that he had moved to the neighborhood two years earlier, very angry. His mother had gotten divorced and remarried this guy. He didn't want to be there. He tried drugs and alcohol and girls and vandalism and so on and just was so angry. And then he said, but then last summer, a year ago, he said, I was watching a television evangelist. And this guy said, if I wanted to know God's love and his peace and his joy and my sin forgiven, then I needed to get out of my chair, place my hands on the telly and pray and ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and ask God to forgive me of my sin because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And he, he said, I got up, I prayed the prayer with my hands on the telly and my life was so transformed that I have not been able to stop telling people about Jesus ever since. And I said, I've noticed that you don't stop talking about Jesus, you know, but, you know, and then he said, well, what do you believe? And I said, well, I said, I'm Jewish. I don't believe in Jesus. And he said, no, I asked you what you believe, not what you don't believe. And I realized that my whole faith was an anti-faith. And so he challenged me. He said, read the Bible, find out what God expects from you as a Jewish person. And, you know, because of the hunger that God had planted in my heart, I immediately said to him, you know what? I will read the Bible. I'm going to go home right now and I'm going to get our Tanakh, our Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, and I'm going to read it. Of course, I didn't say Old Testament back then, but, you know, and I went home and in a, it was still in a box of books um, because we hadn't fully unpacked. And I found my father's Old Testament and I began to read. And he said, well, if you're going to read the Bible, then before you read it, say, God, if this is your word, please speak to me through it. So every day for a year, I read the Bible. I said, God, if this is your word, please speak to me. And, and I began to read. I started in Genesis and I was reading through the scriptures every day for a year. And as I read through the scriptures, God spoke to me, you know, in the sense I was gently led along a path of understanding of God's holiness, of my sin, uh, the tension that that created in me. I mean, I really loved the book of Leviticus, um, you know, and all that stuff about leprosy and sacrifices and the technicalities. It really communicated to me about God's other otherness, you know, his holiness. And, um, I had all these questions and I would ended up becoming close friends with Mark. I would ask him all these questions and I would ask my parents the same questions because I wanted to get both sides of things. And really after a year of reading the Bible every day, it's now the following summer. Um, and I did everything to fight against Jesus because I despised Jesus. You know, my people were killed in his name. My family immigrated to the U S in sort of 1895 because of the pogroms. You know, I was aware of the crusades. I was aware of the Holocaust I was growing up in very much non-Jewish context in Richmond, Virginia. So my father had us very, be very careful because of persecution. Um, you know, it was very Christian Bible Belt area. So I was very opposed to Jesus. And my friend Mark, I mean, even in that year, he got his driver's license. We would take his car to school so I wouldn't have to take the bus. And in the Bible Belt, you hold hands when you pray, even if you're guys, you know. And he'd hold his hand out to pray. Say, hold my, you know, hold my hand out to hold his hand and he would pray. Lord God, please give us a safe journey to school today. Don't let me have an accident. Don't let me crash the car. Please get us there safely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I would rip my hand out of his hand and I would say, no, in Jesus' name you pray. I don't pray in Jesus' name, you know. So I was quite opposed to Jesus. But that very thorn for me became the thing that God used because for me, the thing that made me angry was, you know, he talked about a new testament, a new covenant, a new heart, a new spirit, a new life. And I'm like, new, 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 new. Why all this new? What's wrong with the old? Why, why would I, why should I be replaced? What, what does that make me? Cause I mean, I read about Cain and Abel. I didn't murder anyone. Why am I going to walk the earth with this mark on me? You know, Jew, 
you know, because the Holocaust, the, you know, 40 some odd years ago, it was a lot closer to memory, you know, when you think about wearing a star Jew, you know, one of the reasons why our name is an international mission to Jews, you know, because the whole Holocaust thing makes the word Jew more uh, of a, a, a bad word. So that's why we say Jewish people. And, um, you know, but I have this hang up. I get to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. I'm sure everyone is familiar with it, the announcing of the new covenant. Why? Because they broke the old covenant, even though I was a husband to them. But I love them so much, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel and Judah, and this is how it's going to work. You know, not on tablets of stone, written on their hearts. Why? Because I'm going to forgive their sins, remember their iniquities no more. And I read those words, and I was struck through the heart. And it just, everything came together there in those verses of Jeremiah 31. And so because of that, and it was the following summer, he's now old enough to have a job. He's away working in a factory for a week. I decided that I couldn't wait for him to get back to find out more about Jesus. So I got, um, I, I had been given a Gideon's New Testament. That's another long story in itself. It's quite a funny story, but I'll spare you for the sake of time. But um, I had a Gideon's New Testament hidden away in a shoebox that I wouldn't touch because of, you know, a superstitious fear of the New Testament that Jewish people have. Um, and so I got that, that Gideon little red King James New Testament out and I began to read it. I just didn't know where to start. So I started in the gospel of Matthew and, uh, I read through the gospel of Matthew in three afternoons. I was 14 years old and I just, as I read, it was gobsmacked because if God were to become a man, if the Messiah that my father told me about were to walk the earth, it seemed that he would do the things that Jesus did. And I'm saying, you know, as somebody who had been reading the Old Testament, you know, and, and with, a, you know, like all the leprosy stuff, if I would have seen a leper, I would know that you can't touch a leper, you're made unclean. And so when Jesus touches the leper, instead of just speaking, when Jesus touches him, to me, in a very functional uh, way that Jewish people think is he's just demonstrated God's power because Jesus wasn't made unclean. The leper was made unleopard. You know what I mean? Um, or, or, or even when Jesus, and he makes his point as a Jewish person, you know, when the guy gets lowered through the roof, you read that story and he says, so that you may know that I have the power on earth to forgive sin, rise, take up your bed and go home. Because the guy's, the guy's sick because of sin. So you have to remove the cause. And, and so Jesus, well, I, I'm going to prove it to you because... You know, rather than just say your sins are forgiven, but he doesn't back it up. It's all ideological. Well, no, I can do it. I've forgiven his sins. Well, so what? You're a crazy person. But that's why it says that the rabbis wanted to kill him because he proved it. His sins are forgiven. Look, he's healed. It's this guy's just got lowered to the roof. He's walking home with his bed. You know, and from that point on, they determined to, to kill him because, you know, he was proving he wasn't a blasphemer. He was God. So all those things just really stood out for me as I read the scriptures. And then when I got to the very end of the story about his death, and again, I had a fear of death. And my imagination, Jesus died gurgling, crying out for his mother, gurgling in his blood. Everything was horrible, totally defeated. Um, the weakest man who ever lived, why would he not defend himself? And what I read the story when Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down. And then you see the way that he dies and, and the way that Matthew writes, it says, when, you know, he, what, you know, he gave up his spirit. He wasn't mugged by death. He gave up his spirit. He was even in control then and then reading his resurrection. And when I finished on that third afternoon, I was by myself for all of this in my room. I didn't have my, you know, anybody around me. But when I was done, I was compelled to faith. Uh, it was irresistible. I mean, it, you know, when I think back to it, because 
I was so afraid of worshiping a false god. I was raised to not to do that. And then I'd read the way God was angry with my people throughout the Old Testament. And now I'm going to believe in this Jesus. I know not a single Jewish person on planet Earth that believes in Jesus. And so I pray to God as I had learned to do over that year. And I said, God, I really want to believe in Jesus, but I'm afraid you're a holy God. You've you've commanded us to worship only you. You know, is you know, our God is one God. We only worship this one God. But God, I, I think Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite him into my life as Lord and Savior. And you show me if he's the Messiah, I'll keep believing. And if he's not the Messiah, then I'll reject him. And I literally just got on my knees right there at my bed in my room. And I prayed and I asked, you know, in a very similar manner to my friend, uh, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. God, please forgive me of my sin because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. You know, amen. And um, it was a it was a very marked moment. I mean, it was about half three in the afternoon on the 31st of July, 1979. It was momentous for me because I realized as I did that, my whole life was going to change if my family ever found out because our whole faith was based on not Jesus. And now here I am, this 14-year-old. How can a 14-year-old make a decision like that except by the grace of God? But, you know, my Christian friend made me envious. He made me jealous of the faith that he had. He said some crazy things too, but God overcame those things. And, um, you know, the Lord saved me, you know. I'm, I'm interested. It's a long story. but Are you still in touch with Mark? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, through Facebook. Yeah. There's a lot I don't like about Facebook anymore, but keeping in touch with some friends is a good thing. That's a good story. <laughs> now, I'm re really interested in your sense of identity. I mean, I think most folk forget that Jesus and Paul probably didn't feel Christian. They they, they were Jewish guys, you know. Yeah. They didn't have hill songs, you know, music in, in their CDs and in, the, in the car. You know, they didn't have fish stickers in the back of their, their their cars. They felt Jewish. Do you feel Jewish? Do you feel Christian? What do you? What's your identity? Yes. I feel Jewish. I feel Christian. All of you. I actually, when I, I call myself a Jewish Christian, I know that some Jewish believers will call themselves Jewish believer or Messianic Jew or whatever. I, I, I am thoroughly Christian. I am thoroughly Jewish. I mean, you know, one is one is one is my race. The other is my faith. Yeah. I mean, now, I, it does become it does become a problem for me when it's time to fill in a say an NHS form and they want to to know your religion. I don't. I kind of get flummoxed because I don't. Because being racially Jewish means that there are certain health risks. For instance, only Jewish babies can be born with Tay-Sachs disease, you know, and so on. So there are certain things that you have to, you know, if you put on a medical form, well, no, I'm a Christian now. Um, it, it, it could obscure certain things that they might need to look for if you had a, a, an issue. So in that sense, and I do, what do I put down? I'm Jewish. I put down Jewish Christian. What do they want to know? They don't, they're not wanting me. They're not looking for a religious statement here, you know? So racially, of course, I'm a descendant, actually on my mother's side um, of the, uh, were Cohen. So Kohanim, which means that that was the family of Aaron and Moses, you know, um, on my mother's side. So, you know, I know that part of me is, is, is Levite. <laughs> I don't know what the other part is, Probably, you know, Judah, which is the word Jewish, where the word yeah, Jewish. Well, I mean, it's sort of a bit of Levite is, is clearly you're an ordained minister. You know, it's part <laughs> there of the, you go. the family business, isn't it? You know, I had to say that to my mother when I was getting ordained in the Church of England. She was very upset. 
You know, yeah, you because become a priest. I'm like, mom, you know, our whole side of the family, your side is our, our, our priestly line. I don't really see the problem. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, I, I just finished reading uh, N.T. Wright's book on, on Paul uh, a few months ago. And he makes the point that a really good Jew, the best Jew you can be is a Christian. It's a great point. Yeah. I, I fully agree. That's why I, I, I feel, you know, as a mission, we're shameless in saying that Jewish people need Jesus. And, you know, I do a lot of work in the Far East. There's this real affection in, in the Far East for Israel and Israelis, and they can't even think about the diaspora. And as a member of the Jewish diaspora, I'm almost a second-class Jewish person, you know? And I try to get them to see, um, you know, uh, there was this tragic incident a few years ago where these four rabbis had immigrated to uh, Israel and moved to Jerusalem. They were from uh, the States originally. So they, 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 they lived the dream that, you know, people from the Far East would say, you know, they've immigrated, they've made Aliyah, you know, and they were living in Jerusalem and they were worshiping uh, in a synagogue on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, with all of the clothing on, with the prayer book open, saying the traditional prayers, doing everything that they should be doing as good, observant Jewish people, when uh, two Palestinian terrorists broke in and murdered them. And I say uh, to people, so when those four rabbis died, having ticked all the boxes that you think are so important and the causes that you support financially, when they died, where did they go? And it's like, an epiphany moment because I hadn't even thought about that. I'm like, but those are the very things that we are called to think about the eternal things, the things that matter. This life is passing away. This life in a sense is the womb of heaven. We're to be preparing ourselves to to stand before God because every person will, you know, Uh, and what are you doing? Because only evangelicals will care enough to support and fund the work of bringing the gospel to all people. Can, Can we talk just a little bit about Judaism? I mean, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers, yeah, you know, it, I, I'm learning this with, with Islam and Muslims, you know. So folks say, well, what is a Muslim? There's, there's everything from, you know, a uh, jihadist terrorist to a guy who's nominal. I guess Judaism is exactly the same. You've got everything from a your classic Hasidic, you know, guy with, with a hat to, a, you know, just a, a guy who, who's an atheist Jew. T- yeah. Tell me about Judaism today. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's funny. When I did my um, first degree in Jewish studies, to the era that we're living in now was called Judaism in confusion <laughs> because of the points that you make. You know, what is a Jew anymore? You know, um, is it somebody who lives in Israel? Is it someone who stands up for civil rights? Is it is it somebody who's Hasidic or ultra-Orthodox? Um, is it a conservative? Is it, I mean, you know, it's it's so interesting um, to me. Um, and that's why for me, I don't get bogged down in all that. You know, I just, you know, Jesus said that sick people need a doctor. And so for me, um, you know, and I know that in the past Jewish missions and some still do spend time worrying, what will the anti-missionaries say, the Jewish anti-missionaries, what will the Orthodox say? And I don't have time to worry about what they're going to say because there are people perishing, Jewish people perishing every day. And those individuals like me are longing the ones that, uh, who, on whose hearts God is tugging, they're longing for the answer. They're longing to hear about the Messiah, just like I was. And so, you know, no matter, and, and let me say that we've seen, um, you know, as I said, we had 45 professions of faith last year. 
people from homeless drug addicts right across the spectrum to people with religious backgrounds coming to faith. Um, and, and, and that's because, I mean, God doesn't look at us as, you know, he looks at us all as confused, Judaism and confusion, but he doesn't look at us as atheist or orthodox or whatever. He sees us as these humans asleep at night, you know, riddled with sin and, and issues and problems and need, in need of a savior. And, and so, you know, I think if we can demystify, and that's the thing that I, I have trouble with uh, in my profession is people who feel that they need to go out and teach everything about Judaism and Jewish people to the church before then the church can then share Jesus. And the guy who shared the gospel with me, a 15-year-old, I mean, he said some outlandish, ridiculous things in the days of Hal Lindsey's best-selling The Late Great Planet Earth. You know, we're talking about the early 80s late 70s, sorry, it was the late 70s, I came to faith in 79, and all the sort of, you know, rapture stuff in America, and the Antichrist, and the beast was in Brussels, and all these different things were going on, and this guy's telling me as an unbeliever, well, when Jesus comes back very soon now, he's going to ride a horse through the sky, and he's going to, I'm going to ride a horse with him, and I will wave at you and say, bye, I'll see you later. I mean, that was ridiculous. It was like, what are you, nuts? Okay, that's fine. But it didn't mean that the other stuff didn't go in, that it didn't, that yeah. I wasn't jealous of the faith and the relationship with God. I could clearly see that. You know, so, uh, you know, I feel like, look, just tell us about Jesus. Just share the gospel and let the spirit of God sort the rest of the okay. muck out. You know sure. what I mean? It's all to do, like in five minutes, Judaism 101. There, there's yeah. three areas I want you to comment on briefly. I want you to comment, you know, I know this is pretty general, but yeah. what is it you think about a relationship with God? What does that look like? Secondly, forgiveness of sin. What is a Jewish view of forgiveness of sin? And thirdly, the Messiah. Well, what is a Jewish view of the Messiah? So, okay. you know, in five minutes, just you know, give us a, you want a sound bite. You need to give me them one at a time. I can't possibly remember all three. <laughs> relationship with God. Okay, well, let's start off. Can we have a relationship with God? Yes, but I mean, it's going to be so broad if you if you sample Jewish people. I mean, obviously, if you want to talk about Judaism, if you want to talk about, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, I know ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, I don't know them personally, but I know of through ministry, ultra-Orthodox Jews who are absolutely running pornographic rings and things like that. I, I, I know, you know, of rabbis who have mistresses and so on. I mean, Jewish people are sinners just like anyone else. So I'd rather not talk about it on the basis of being religious, yeah. but, but on, on being human uh, as a Jewish person. And the fact is, is that um, there's just as broad a spectrum amongst Jewish people as, as anywhere else, because, you know, a lot of the forerunners um, and leaders in the New Age movement. And we do New Age outreach. Anyone who's familiar with our work, we, when, when we're not in a pandemic, you know, we're doing outreach at New Age festivals because a lot of the people who are at the forefront of that are Jewish seekers of, of, of having a relationship with God. Now, the God they're seeking isn't the God of the, of the scriptures, but, but they are seeking God. And I think that Jewish people are, by nature, we are very um, thoughtful when it comes to spiritual things. Um, and I mean... I would say that my father is one of the least religious people that I know, but even he will say things at times like, I just hope that when I die, you can tell that he's thought about it a little bit. When I die, I want to sit on a cloud and hang my feet over the edge yeah. and with my father or my grandfather and just talk about things and just chew the fat. And I'm like, dad, that sounds great for about a day or two. But when you think about doing that forever, that sounds like hell, you know? Um, and I try to explain to him why, because he hasn't thought deeply enough. And I think that's the problem is that, Jewish people have these thoughts about God 
And my older brother, you know, the same, he's like, well, I think that God's kind of like an old man sitting in a chair, just patting us all on the head. Uh, well, well, you know, be good children. You know, I said, so he's kind of like Father Christmas. He's like, yeah, kind of like that. You know, don't, don't be naughty, be nice, you know. And I'm like, you haven't really thought deeply enough. And that's the thing is everyone, they, they get these very sentimental ideas, but they haven't actually engaged with the scripture, you know. And that is the problem is that Judaism, it's kind of leads to your next thing. But, you know, Judaism is not a religion um, where there is redemption. It's a religion where there is repentance. There's repentance, but there's no redemption. And we don't read the scriptures. Even the ultra-Orthodox don't read the scriptures. They read the rabbinical writings and commentaries on the scriptures. They don't read the scriptures. And so, you know, the Bible that I pulled out of that box was my father's Bible from his bar mitzvah decades earlier. And it was still brand new. The, the, the spine wasn't broken and it, he wasn't the first owner. His parents got it from a used bookshop and it was for a, a bat mitzvah of another um, person that was years before that. This Bible was 70 years old and it looked brand new. And I was the one who wore it out. So the fact is, is that Jewish people are ignorant of the scriptures. We have a religion that is all about repenting and saying sorry, but and, and that is the only means of forgiveness if God might happen to have mercy on us, but there's no more redemption. We have no sacrifice. We have no temple. It was destroyed, you know, and so, you know, that, that creates a lot of confusion, which kind of brings us back to that word again. Well, what about Messiah? I mean, is Jesus of Nazareth even in the short list? No, because I think that, you know, well, there's so many reasons that I could, you know, all the Jewish study stuff comes back. But there was the whole split between Christianity and, and Judaism back and around the Council of Yavne in 100, you know. And, and the fact that in those days, Judaism was a proselytizing religion and there was competition. Then there was the destruction of Jerusalem before that in 70 AD when the Christians fled, the Jewish Christians, I say. Christians, but I mean the Jewish followers of Jesus fled. But that was a huge part of the population. If you look at... Um, at some of the figures, up to a third of Jerusalem believed in Jesus after his death and resurrection, some would say. And that's why, in fact, in a Passover today, you have elements of Jesus that have been left over with Greek words. The only time that Jewish people spoke Greek was in, in the time of Christ. So um, there's all sorts of trails there. Um, so Jesus isn't in the shortlist. We've been killed in his name for 2,000 years. You can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. We're raised to think. Um, you know, it's only today that because of Jewish people like myself standing up and saying, no, I'm still Jewish, but you can believe in Jesus. What am I, a pickle sandwich now? You know, of course, I'm still a, a Jewish person. My kids can still get Tay-Sachs. I still have the genes, the genetics. And yet I believe in Jesus. You can't just dismiss me. And younger Jewish generations don't think that way anyway. But the problem is actually, it goes back to the last thing I said about the Bible, about the scriptures, because what is the Messiah? You know, as I said, my parents believed the Messiah was a fairy tale. Why? Because if there was a Messiah, he would have delivered us from the Holocaust. If there was a Messiah, the time that he would have come was when six million of us were being murdered. And he didn't come. Therefore, there is no Messiah. The only Messiah that there is, is if we look at the Bible like Aesop's fables, which again, my parents said to me, you learn things from it. It's not historical truth, they would say. I disagree, but, you know, it's not historical truth. We learn from the Bible principles. So the Messiah isn't a person who's coming, as I told you when you were six as a child. It's an age that we work to. We try to make the world a better place. And that's why you see so many Jewish people involved with Nobel Prizes and trying to do things to better the earth, you know, uh, working on all sorts of ways to help us get through this pandemic or science breakthroughs or whatever, because 
we're trying to be messianic. We're trying to bring a, an age of peace and prosperity because, you know, that's part of what it means to be Jewish. But in terms of a deliverer or redeemer coming, well, he had plenty of opportunities and he let us die over and over again. So, I mean, that's the problem that you come up against. However, there are ultra-Orthodox who believe in a Messiah. He will come and deliver us. That's why they speak against Israel, because Israel shouldn't exist until the Messiah comes and makes it so. But they're really a minority. They're a minority, you know. Um, and so the challenge for us, I think, as a, as a mission and for us as Christians, because I don't think we should be the only ones doing Jewish evangelism, is the challenge that we really face with all people. We need to um, find a way to arrest people and help them to um, realize or to make more present the thoughts they have as they fall asleep at night or as they first wake up in the morning before they get busy and they get into the context of life and say, what about, and have you thought about this and try to direct people, try to be spiritual guides, you know, in the same way that Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus, opening up the eyes of those two who didn't understand. You know, we're trying to engage with Jewish people and discern those whom God is calling. Do, to discern his elect, um, not to say, well, they're going to get saved anyway, so, you know, or they're, God's finished with them or whatever, but to say, look, you're human, Jesus saves, I want, how can I be a connector here um, for the Spirit of God to use in his saving work? Great. Yeah. yeah, great word. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're coming into land, uh, IMGP, uh, rebranding. International Mission to Jewish People. Internal, you're not using the acronym. No, because it has no meaning. I am JP. What does that mean? I am a Jewish person. <laughs> international mission to Jewish people. <laughs> okay, I st- okay, folks out there, it's international mission to Jewish people. Telling Jewish people about Jesus is simple. Yes, it is. So this is pandemic. I mean, you and I had a nice lunch about you know, 18 months ago in Edinburgh, yeah. vegetarian lunch, uh, as, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, we can't do that, Joseph. Well, hopefully, you know, a, a bit like uh, the Jewish things, maybe next year in Jerusalem, you know, maybe next, maybe next year, year in Edinburgh, right? Uh, maybe later this year. Maybe. Well, maybe. Tell me just as we come into land, 2021, uh, what big things are you guys doing? What do you want us to pray about uh, for international mission to Jewish people? Well, you know, 2020 was a challenging year, but actually for us, it was a fantastic year for mission because people are thinking about spiritual things. And we actually expanded our mission um, by four uh, people. We've got two new workers in Ukraine. We've got somebody new just about to start in Brazil. Uh, we got another missionary in Israel, um, and we saw more Jewish people than before uh, coming to faith. So the mission, you know, look, we're a tiny mission. What do we got? 18, 19 missionaries. I think we had about eight when I started. And, and you know, we're tiny in, in the scope of things. But, you know, we're really encouraged and excited at the opportunities. And the fact is, is that even though there's been a pandemic and that we've been locked down, our missionaries have been building relationships with Jewish people who became much more um, thoughtful, uh, much more seeking God and spiritual things because of the situation. And we've had some of our Jewish um, contacts pass away from coronavirus, some of them in intensive care, professing faith, you know, 48 hours before they died. And I would say that, you know, if, if you're not receiving the, the Herald, the, the new Herald, which isn't so new anymore, but it's full of stories like that to encourage you that, that God is still saving Jewish people. Um, prayer requests, you can be praying 
stay informed. If you want to be encouraged and excited about what God is doing, be in touch, imjp.org forward slash pray or just imjp.org. I wouldn't make you type the whole name out on the internet, just so you know. Okay. Uh, it's been an amazing year for us and Jewish people are coming to faith. And so, so this year, it's just more of the same until we know we can get out. We were supposed to be doing a big outreach in Australia because our work in Australia revived last year. You know, um, we've just um, accepted a new missionary from Hong Kong. We know that a whole large Chinese population or Hong Kong population is is immigrating here. And Jewish people are very open. Actually, we're more open to hearing the gospel from people like um, Chinese background or English background than we are from Jewish people like me. I'm a I'm a traitor. I'm a mashumid as the Hebrew word. I'm a traitor and apostate. So Jewish people are much more likely to hear the gospel like I did from somebody who's not Jewish, which is what Romans 10 says. Yeah. Romans 10 sets that paradigm. So, um, yeah, so I think if you want to be encouraged and excited to engage with us, we can do these online things. We can do, I've been doing loads of online meetings and our missionaries are, we've actually got an, uh, an at-home meeting where people can come into Philip Amos's room, uh, his living room, and he's going to do a meeting. I think we've had about 50 or 60 people sign up for that. So there's all sorts of ways to engage that we're all getting used to now like this. You know, I'd much rather have a nice uh, vegetable soup with you up in Edinburgh, but, you know, but anyway, we'll, that will come. But, you know, we're, we're sort of waiting with bated breath to see when we can safely go out because we, wanna, we, we don't want to squander the, resource, the human resource that the Lord has raised up. Um, and we think that hopefully by the end of the year, things will get back to some kind of normality. But we are still very much engaged in Jewish evangelism. Joseph, thank you so much for being with us, for giving me your time. Your story is fascinating. I hope you'll write a book. I hope you'll tell your story in a book one day. Uh, that would be a great read. Uh, folks, listeners, viewers, thank you for joining us. Keep with us. Tell other folk about Generation and uh, our podcast. Again, if you like your podcast audio, where you're running and walking, we can do that. And if you want to look at us visually, we can do that. That's great. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, viewers. Thank you.